This episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast was brought to you by Circuit Skin Australia, making skincare smarter for almost two decades. Hello and welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauty Industry, Tamara Reid. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today, my guest is Jennifer Byrne from the Australian Society of Dermal Clinicians. The ASDC was founded in 2000 to 2001 with the first graduates of the Bachelor of Health Science from Victoria University. Since then, the dermal therapy industry has experienced dramatic growth with the increasing popularity of non-surgical cosmetic treatments and clinics offering dermal therapy procedures across Australia. This continuing growth has highlighted the need for the ASDC to advocate for dermal clinicians nationally to maintain standards, integrity and education within the industry and to promote evidence-based practice. Today we talk to Chairperson Jennifer Byrne about the role of the ASDC, the benefits and what it means to you to become a member. From the Australian Society of Dermal Clinicians, today we welcome Jennifer Byrne. Jennifer, welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure to chat with you today. Um, You may not know, but we start all of our episodes in the exact same way by finding out how our guests entered into the industry. And I would like to travel back in time um, and take a look at what that looks like for you. Yeah, no worries. I guess it's one of those... um, I'm one of those people that I guess it was a little bit of a calling, but also fell into it. And it's a bit of a strange story when people hear where I came from. But um, I was always a fairly academic person at school. Um, I really liked, you know, studying biology and I did physics and a few other things as well. But I really wanted to be a hairdresser my whole way through high school. Um, But most of my teachers and my parents weren't too keen on that idea for one reason or another. And so I actually started to be an architect for four years. Wow. Um, but decided that I'd, I didn't really want to do that for the rest of my life. And um, it, was, it was fairly intense, I suppose. And um, the pressures of having to perform in front of clients and things as well. And I was very young and I hadn't travelled much or done any of those sorts of things. Um, so I took some time off and I worked in retail for a little while. And then one day I saw an ad in the paper and I was, I was probably about 23 by this point. So, you know, in terms of studying um, beauty therapy, I was considered quite mature age. Um, but I saw an, an advert for um, Alabashay back then in Melbourne and they were wanting, you know, advertising their program. And I spoke to my mum and said, look, you know, would you come along and have a look at this, you know, with me? I'm, this is something I think I'd really like to do. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And I did it as a part-time student. So I had to study and, you know, pay rent and do all those sorts of things, pay my bills. Um, so it took me a little bit longer than the average person. So I did that for two years, but I loved it from day one. Um, and you know, really fell in love with the profession. I'd worked in that field for probably about seven years all up. But even when I was at Alabashay back then, my principal Alabashay 
um, told me that there was a program that had started up just that was very new back then in um, dermal science. But I kind of just parked that in my brain and I thought, well, I just, you know, I want to get out there and I work and I want to get into doing all sorts of different things. And I worked in lots of different settings. I worked in medi spas and, you know, traditional spas. I worked in little beauty therapy clinics. Um, you know, I became a bit of a, back then, things like Brazilian waxing was really new and I became a bit of a Brazilian waxing guru for a while. Um, so, yeah, I did the full gamut. I wanted to get as much experience as I possibly could in all sorts of different settings. Um, but I was also drawn to it too because, like most people, I think, that come to skin, I had a terrible skin condition when I was a teenager. So I had really bad cystic acne. Um, and I was put on medication in my teens and it really impacted me and a lot of my friends too, having acne and things like that. And I also came from a family where we get all the weird and wonderful rashes. We always had eczema and um, you know, psoriasis is in the family and there's big risk of skin cancer history and those sorts of things as well. And I guess skin was always an interest for me as well from that perspective. And as I was working with clients in my beauty um, settings, I was often drawn to the complex cases. You know, the people that did have the issues, they didn't know how to fix. Um, and so I felt I got to a point where I thought I really need to know more because I wanted to know more about how do I help with this. So I was doing a lot of referring off. There was only a certain amount I felt I could do. Um, so I was doing a lot of referring off. And also probably about that time was when a lot of these really new treatments were coming into the industry as well. Um, so when I was a beauty therapist, IPL was brand new. This is, you know, we're talking about 15, 20 years ago. Um, and chemical peels and things were just starting to become more popular. And back then there was a hard, you know, go hard, go home kind of peels, you know, TCA and things like that. And I wanted to know more about how they worked because I was a little bit too scared about doing that. So then I re you know, reinvestigated this degree I'd heard about and went off and studied that. So pretty much um, so sort of how I got into dermal science. Um, and then once I had studied that again, it was like, my whole universe opened. There was just so much more knowledge to know. Um, and, you know, I'm one of those people when I think, you know, you ask a little bit later, um, you know, how do I, you know, like is continuing education important? And I'm one of those people that's never left. You know, I went from, you know, high school to doing, you know, uni to another program to another program. And then I went and did postgrad. So after I did my dermal science, I wanted to know more about wound healing in, in particular. And so I went and did a postgrad in, and wound healing and then I've gone on and started research degrees and things too so um yeah I think it's just that thirst for knowledge I just feel like there's always something more to know like everybody else I think um that's kind of where I sort of got into it yeah and then so now I'm, I guess I've never left uni too so now I educate so now I work as a, a lecturer at Victoria University um and my particular passions are um chronic edema so I teach into the areas of lymphedema lipedema uh, wound healing and I deal a lot with um, chronic disease so how we can help with skin health in the areas of chronic disease management it's such a huge area and there's such a shortfall at the moment in healthcare for somebody that knows a lot about skin yeah and has the tools like the wide range of tools to actually treat that yeah yeah wow how cool is that I love that I mean started out as a hairdresser went to architecture went to retail come into beauty therapy I've I mean it's everywhere. very yeah. <laughs> Been ever and done everything. Yeah. But destined to be um, in the service industry, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Very cool. And I guess, you know, that that thirst for knowledge as therapists, when we are training in beauty school, we don't know what we don't know. And all of a sudden, our world really opens up to all of these basic skin conditions. We learn about different hair types and hair stages. We learn about, you know, muscles. We learn about physiology, anatomy, so many different things. And as you were saying, you got to this point where you're like, I need to know more. And I guess going down that general science pathway for you is where we kind of do that in our industry, which I'm so glad now, you know, you were saying there, somebody told you about the degree. I'm glad now the degree is so well known where, you know, it's not just somebody telling somebody about it. It's kind of like, okay, so you finish being a beauty therapist. If you want to continue, this is the automatic pathway you go down. I think that's for me been one of the biggest changes that I've seen is that it is so widely known about. I mean, so you can hop onto so many forums now and people are chatting about it, which is really nice. Um, and also for me, you know, of course, I'm, I'm, you know, I studied at VU and I teach at VU, but for me, particularly within the association, it's been so important that there's been more choices than that. And the fact that there are now three different institutions that you can do it at, you know, in, in different areas of Australia is something that's been you know, really amazing and really wonderful for people to have that choice of different places they can go to and, you know, preferences for how they like to learn or, you know, where they want to go or how they want to do their clinical learning. And, you know, like I said, it is, it's, it's quite mainstream now. It is just a, you know, a progression that some people want to go. You know, it's another choice, another choice for what you might want to do with your careers, I suppose, as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then tell me, you are the chairperson for ASDC. In your own words, what is ASDC for those who don't know? Yeah, that's a, that's a big mouthful actually, isn't it? <laughs> um, well, the Australian Society of Dermal Clinicians, we're really a, um, a network of dermal clinicians predominantly and um, dermal therapists. Um, and it's, it's, really, it's a network or a professional body specifically for representing us um, and advocating for us as well in terms of um, increasing awareness you know, within um, not only the aesthetics area, but also within the medical professions and also the government about, you know, where it is we play a role and how we can assist. Um, and particularly at the moment, the government is a big um, push, you know, 10-year plan for integrating allied health and medicine a lot more in they're focusing a lot more on preventative health and understanding that really prevention is so much better than cure. And, you know, as we all know in skin, um, anyone who works in skin knows how important skin is and it's just a reflection of what's happening on the inside. Um, so, yes, we play a big support and advocacy role, um, but also, you know, the differentiation between, you know, how these professions are starting to develop into different professions, really. So, like I said, I started off as a beauty therapist and um, once you become, you know, you study dermal science, you do become something else. I suppose. And aesthetics is one area we can work in, but a lot of us work in different areas of health as well. Um, so yeah, so it's mainly it's a body representing us, you know, advocating for us, supporting us, but also guiding industry as well. And I think you touched a little bit on that with sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Um, there's some things in terms of scope of practice and some of the emerging things that are coming out, we don't, sometimes we don't realise what we don't know. And we're able to provide some sort of guidelines for that as well in terms of you know where to you know beauty services um merging into more health services i suppose sit and the sort of differentiation so that how we can um uh, i guess navigate you know between all those different professions in terms of medical health you know beauty those sorts of things as well yeah 
Yeah, I really like that word um, navigation and also network between the two, because as we know, when when we see a skin as a beauty therapist, we get very excited about all of the possibilities on how we can treat it and how we can recommend. But sometimes we also need to cap that excitement and go, do you know what? We might not be as skilled or as experienced as somebody else who can actually treat this a little bit better or perhaps differently with a little bit more knowledge. And it's so nice that, you know, coming back to that word network, you've got this network of people who you can refer on to. And I feel like a dermal clinician or a dermal therapist really does have more of that um, health allied health kind of aspect towards their qualification. Therefore, you know, you guys are treating within your scope of practice and a beauty therapist can assist up until a point. So it's really nice that you've got that language that you're able to, you know, help the client further in the treatment room. Yeah, we see that really as a bridge um, between everything, really. And yeah, everyone has a place. So sort of when we, um, I think the biggest thing for me as a teacher too, teaching people to make that transition, I suppose, to being dermal clinicians is also to know that what we need to let go as well. Mm. And so a lot of when I'm managing somebody with a chronic skin condition, my aim is not to keep them forever. Like in that state, you want them to, you know, get a certain amount of skin healing and then refer back, you know, so my network is to refer back to, you know, my beauty therapist colleagues and peers so that they will have the ongoing management and maintaining that skin health. But then, yeah, the being the bridge to you know, other things. So we, you know, often recommend to lots of different allied health professionals from dietetics to, you know, movements, so whether that might be physio or sports exercise, physiologist or you know various different things so we really are the bridge trying to find out what does that client need in order for that um, improvement to happen and then you know where do we go from there so yeah really is about networking networks are really important Mm, and I love that word bridge as well that's so so very on point Um, tell me then how does one become the chair of such an association yeah, again, that's one of those things I kind of fell into. I certainly didn't wake up morning and go, yes, that's one, the job <laughs> I want to have. Uh, especially during all these sorts of you know times with COVID, I always sit there and you think, yeah, you don't want to be the prime minister today, do you? All yeah. those things. <laughs> um, I've always, as a person, I think I'm um, somebody who, you know, I have a problem-solving bent, I have a creative bent, and I, I like to network. Um, so I think, you know, there came a time in our development where we needed somebody who you know is very collaborative you know um, because of my networks I suppose working for the university too I have an understanding of how boards work and, and you know what's needed to sort of develop the professional a bit so I was actually headhunted um, I was always a, a full member of the association and very early on when I um, joined the association I wanted to be on the committee and until I realized how much work that really was and then I went off and thought <laughs> I want to have a bit of a career first um, but yeah, so I think that's sort of where it was. I've got some passion for advocacy. I, you know, I'm very passionate about what we do um, and working together with everybody. I think the only way I've got this saying that I tell my kids and things too, is like if you want to go somewhere fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. Um, I like that. And that's, and that's the sort of person, yeah, that you know, I am and the sort of um, beliefs I have. So I think that's at that time I fitted, you know, well, at this time I fit what the ASDC need. Um, and then, you know, somebody else will take over from me when the time comes to, you know, take us to the next stage as well. After the break, Jen and I chat about the much needed topic of what regulation and standards look like for the professional aesthetic and beauty industry. But first, a word from today's beauty partner. Community, if you are searching for a skincare brand to stock in your space, then you should look no further than Circuit to Skin. 
The original skincare brand is back in Australia, bigger and better than ever before. With over 20 years of research and development, happy clients treating all concerns through ingredients which are considered through their earth-aware conscious ethics, Circuit Skin is a brand your retail offering and treatment menu is going to love. Promoting professional prescriptions by skincare specialists rather than selling online, Circuit Skin is the perfect combination of results meets relaxation in their signature eye-catching, yet eco-friendly packaging. To find out more about why so many therapists and clients are loving the return of Circuit Skin via distribution of InMed Aesthetics, visit www.circuitskin.com.au to take a look for yourself. Thank you so much to the team at InMed Aesthetics for making today's episode possible. And now back to Jen. Who can be a member of the ASTC? Because we have obviously a lot of different associations and I think that was probably one of the biggest problems during COVID is that there were too many voices and not a united voice. Um, You know, in terms of membership, there are so many different sectors of our industry. There's beauty and aesthetics and spray tanning and cosmetic and tattooing and everything like that. What are you guys specifically looking for in your members? Yep. Well, our full members are qualified dermal clinicians who have a bachelor degree. Yeah, and a, a bachelor degree specifically in, um, you know, called a couple of different things depending on where you study, but, you know, whether it's clinical aesthetics or it's dermal science, it's specifically in that specialisation of being a dermal clinician. Um, so there are full members. And then we have associate members who are our dermal therapists. And there's a few different pathways to becoming a dermal therapist. So that might be a beauty therapist that's gone on to do some postgraduate vocational training, specifically in dermal therapies, um, or they might have an accumulation of different um, certifications as well that would allow them to call themselves a dermal therapist. Uh, And then we have our industry membership, and that's pretty much everyone. We call that the friends of the ASDC, really. So that's pretty much everybody who would like to know a little bit more about what it is to be a dermal clinician or would like to network with dermal clinicians um, or, you know, be in that sort of space. So that's, you know, industry reps from product companies. It's... um, you know, beauty therapists that might not yet have that dermal therapy training as well. So it's pretty much everyone sort of falls into that category. Um, yeah, so I think it pretty much covers off everyone. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Okay, friends of the ASTC. I didn't know that. So that's you've taught me something today as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of COVID, we were chatting just before, you know, I think it, it really highlighted um, and highlighted perhaps in a bit of a red colour, um, some, some anger as well there from therapists and technicians who, you know, really saw or wanted to see a huge boost for change for more standards and regulations in our industry. Um, I'm interested to hear what kind of changes you've seen in the industry during 2020 because it was such an upside down year and and what do you envision to change in 2021 because this conversation sparked where we all kind of went actually you're right we do need more standards we do need um, more regulations so do you envision something happening fast or do we have to take that long that long kind of far pathway I guess to get there yep um, I think, yeah, definitely. I think in you know, 2020, so many awful things came out of it in terms of, you know, it's been professionally and personally upheaving for everyone. I don't think anyone came out of it unscathed. Mm. But there was definitely silver linings. And for me, the biggest thing was that we all bonded over, you know, who knew we'd all bond over infection control? Yeah. And, you know, like, and I think we all came, you know, all together and thought there are some things that transcend professional boundaries. 
Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we all want the best outcomes and for people to maintain their health and, um, you know, to do good things. And so I think even seeing some of the, um, you know, the webinars and things that came across where all of us were able to sit down together and have some conversations and that we may not always agree, but I think that, you know, the fact that we were able to have those conversations was something that really was really good that came out of COVID. And those discussions are still continuing. And as you said, like there's a lot of discussion around regulation and standards and um, we're still having those discussions. It's kind of expanding out from there. So at the moment, you know, there's obviously some conversations about laser and, you know, a lot of the professional bodies are, you know, sort of willing to sort of come together and think, well, how do we approach this? Um, whether or not we can wait for the government to do that, um, you know, I'd like to think, yes, something would happen sooner than later. But, I, you know, I've been in this profession a long time, just like a lot of other people. And we've been talking about regulation since I started as a beauty therapist 20 years ago. And mm. that hasn't quite happened yet. And, that, you know, there may be a stimulus that makes that happen really quickly. I would hate to think what that would be, though. Um, so in the meantime, for me, it's really important. You know, I'm starting to do a lot of work around, you know, trying to really collaborate with those professional bodies to see if, as, you know, we can come together and, have some conversations about where does this all fit and develop some standards as well. Yeah. So I think that that will come out of it. Um, but I do think though, that even despite, you know, um, the industry feeling maybe we're not recognized in, you know, what it is we actually do do well. I think that that's also given us a forum to actually be heard to a certain degree in terms of at least, um, because I know that a lot of the health ministers would say, you know, were saying to us that, you know, you're very loud. You know, there's a lot of you talking. Mm. But, but I think, you know, probably the problem was we weren't able to focus that enough. And I think that's something that's going to change too. I think, you know, we are seeing a lot of movement in that we are starting to focus that. Um, and, you know, they only wanted, the government only want to deal with a few, um, for them, for it's easier. They just want to deal with a few bodies that represent a lot of people. And, I'm hoping, as I said, I know that we've all sort of fallen into that trap sometimes as individuals, we feel that, you know, well, nothing's ever going to change and my voice doesn't matter. And so you kind of wander away from being part of a group and going off and doing your own thing, which mm. you know, um, I'm hoping that that kind of changes and we realise that, you know, even though it might not feel like you're doing anything by being part of something bigger, you know, it's just a small, you know, that your voice and being part of that actually provides more um, weight I suppose when we do try and advocate for people as well, because often, you know, as a body, you're asked, well, who do you represent? Um, you know, who are you speaking for? And if you don't have all those people willing to be part of that, even if it's just a small thing, um, then it, it is a bit harder. So that's one thing I'm hoping in 2020 is we see that movement back, I suppose, in knowing that together we're stronger um, and that we can all collaborate. You know, all the different professional bodies can collaborate to a certain degree and figure out well, what can we agree upon and what, you know, don't we agree upon and where is the common ground? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there because when you speak to government, and I did a lot of speaking to government on behalf of our beauty industry community just through COVID, the first thing they said was, how many people are you representing? You know, yeah. and it wasn't, it wasn't what quality are you representing or what are their skills or what's their turnover or anything like that. As soon as I said, we've got 7,000 people in our community, they were like, okay, we're listening, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that for us was, was just a huge, you know, kind of weight to be able to say, we have so many people who are backing us. So I really love when people back associations like yourself, because it does mean the world. And, you know, the key thing that you've said there is that you 
you don't have to be a member of one association. You know, if all of the associations collaborated together and everyone just supported everyone, that weight to government is so much more heavy and so much more loud that the government will start listening. That's what we need. We need them to not call us beauticians anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it is, it's, um, it's just outdated like so it surprises me how old some of this legislation is and some of it hasn't changed since the 60s you know and so they they don't know what else to call it because in you know it's written down that way you know and even though in their everyday language they wouldn't say that when it comes to something like these sorts of things where it's you know legislated or you've got public health orders that's kind of what exists so it's time it's time to change things need to change yeah Absolutely. And I think there is a lot of confusion around, you know, this, it's, it's not anyone's fault or there's no one really to blame. I mean, even as you were talking about before laser, when it comes to IPL, for example, you need a certificate to operate in one state and you don't need a certificate Mm. to operate in another. You can buy something off Alibaba for goodness sake, you know, I mean, how, how do people actually know what they're doing and, and what kind of steps should they be taking to make sure that they are operating within the correct guidelines if they they don't know any better yeah we've always taken the point of view and it happened when we were you know, making that transition as opposed to what is a dermal clinician is there somebody in your field that performs that particular procedure or technique that has a level of knowledge in doing that then they're often held as the benchmark for how that's done so you know my advice is to look to that and try and make sure that you're adhering to that that benchmark or those best practice standards um, so as you mentioned, because unfortunately there isn't a national standard, you know, in some places you do need to have things and some places you, you don't. Um, but so maybe look at the most rigorous one because, um, you know, then at least, you know, you're doing everything you possibly can, mm. you know, to meet that standard. So for us, there are a few things that are sort of emerging. I suppose they're not standards at the moment. They're not benchmarks, but, you know, that we're hoping they will be. You know, there are, you know, quite a lot of concerns with, um, skin cancers going undetected and, you know, those sorts of things as well. And some of these come from things like not test patching mm. um, and, you know, not getting skin cancer screenings before having laser procedures. So we're things that we're hoping, you know, that that will become a benchmark. So I think that's something that people can be doing just to make sure they're doing everything they possibly can. Um, there are lots of places now, especially, you know, if you're not sure about that sort of thing, um, demoscopy is something that, you know, can be taught to most people that have a background in skin. I think a lot of those, you know, personal bodies are sort of more leaning towards it's more that better than more people know about it than not. Um, but if you, you know, you don't, then always refer to somebody who can. Um, of course, you know, keeping your knowledge current. So, you know, making sure that you do your laser safety and you, you do that regularly because things do change, standards do change. Um, making sure that you're doing all those sorts of things. And I think, you know, we put up um, something recently on one of our blogs that you, you sometimes you just have to ask yourself, you know, if I'm doing a procedure, what is the worst that can go wrong if I'm doing this? And am I actually qualified to handle the complication that happens? You know, so if, you know, eye damage were happening because we're treating too close to the eyes, you know, am I qualified to, to manage that? And if I'm not, then I probably shouldn't be doing that particular mm. procedure. Um, so I think a lot of it comes back to those sorts of things as well, and just making sure is it in my scope of practice, you know, or yeah, like you said, am I just excited because I know how to use the technology, you know, but can I handle all the things that go wrong? Um, so there's a few things I think, yeah, maintaining education and, you know, making sure that you're getting the best quality equipment that you can and that, you know, you're, you're doing all the right things in terms of being insured and all that sort of stuff, which I'm sure everyone is. Um, but my advice is always just to look at those people that do that procedure that are, you know, the most qualified because you know if something does go wrong you're going to be held to that standard 
Yeah, for sure. And I yeah. do see sometimes even in our community, um, people saying, you know, I haven't studied for 15, 20, sometimes 30 years, uh, you know, and then asking a question subsequently. And I think, oh my goodness, you haven't studied in that long you know, which is great because you're experienced, but things change so rapidly in our industry. It does make me very cautious, you know, well, what are you doing? You know, you have to keep up those skills. Um, and we were saying before that education is so important to you. What are your tips for continuing that education? I mean, we can't all just be cowgirls and cowboys and just think, well, I've got my qualification now. I know everything. I'm just going to go out there and keep treating and, and I'm experienced, you know, because somebody who's fresh out of beauty school or, um, you know, general therapy college is actually probably in a better place education wise than somebody who has been in the industry for such a long time. Yeah. Well, things do change really quickly. And just to you know, give an example, one of the areas I, I'm really passionate about is lymphatic health. And I think about five or seven years ago, we had to throw out all the textbooks because everything right. that had been written has been completely superseded in terms of we understand how it works. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, things do change. Um, so I guess in terms of, you know, what should we do though? So that again, you know, you're speaking to somebody who's like a self-confessed nerd. <laughs> um, so for me, you know, it, it is, I get bored and I end up looking for what else can I do or what's the next thing. But on an everyday level, I just set aside time, you know, every Sunday or whatever day of the week. And, you know, I get some journal articles and I read those and I make sure that, you know, I'm keeping up with um, certain things. But you know, there's always a place for things like your professional organisations and associations because they will often keep you updated. So mm -hmm. if things are changed, especially really important things, like if there are updates on regulation or if there are updates on, you know, technologies or scope of practice or discussions on those sorts of things, they're going to keep you up to date with that. Um, but, you know, I think it's just having that thirst for more and, you know, there's always something else to study, whether it be doing short courses, you know, to keep up with techniques or, um, you know, whether it be, you know, your webinars and things like that that are going to be, you know, hearing from experts or, you know, if you haven't been studying for a while or if maybe recency um, to practice is something as well. You know, we've stepped out for a while and had children and want to come back in. You know, those sorts of things, those networks are a really great way for, you know, reinserting yourself as well and doing some mentoring and, you know, seeing what other people are doing and how they're doing it as well so that you're not just going back into what you did without being a bit more up to date, I suppose. Yeah, and lots of um, informal education almost as well. I mean, I know you guys do um, pre-COVID um, and hopefully post, uh, you know, some pretty fantastic events. You've got lots of blog pieces going on. Yeah, conferences. Yeah, there's so much out there. I mean, not that I'm saying everybody who hasn't studied in such a long time needs to go back and complete their whole, you know, diploma all over again. That's not what I'm saying. But informal education, I guess, just upskilling and keeping in up to date with the industry knowledge and trends and insights that are coming out is more so what I'm kind of referring to as well yeah definitely so I think like I said, it's just such a rapidly changing industry um and like I said you know the whole face of it's changed since I've been here from you know when I first came in LPL was something that was really seen as being really what you know quite out there and really Star Wars and now you know there's so many different um you, know, you can hardly keep up with it in terms of what's coming out and how it's going to be used and what's going to be happening next and um, yeah, so I think the you know, I think the informal is something we should be doing all the time anyway, and I think the formal formal is something to actually you know, probably be more valued than it is, um, especially when it comes to scope of practice because it really does help to define where you know what sort of things you should be doing, and sometimes even short courses aren't enough 
for the breadth of what it is we want to do. So and, you know, when we're doing a short course, it really is a snapshot of a particular very small window of what it is we might want to do. So sometimes we need to acknowledge what we need to do more than that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So big year 2020, there was lots of voices, lots of voice to government, lots of phone calls on your end, I'm sure. What does yep. um, 2021 look like for the ASTC? Well, we've been working towards becoming a self-regulating profession by 2024. That was an aim that Fantastic. we set ourselves in you know, 2019. And we're halfway there in terms of reaching out our, our milestones. So um, for us, even 2020, there were some really good things to celebrate, even that came out of that. Um, we had already, before COVID just hit, we had been accepted as an affiliate member into the Allied Health Professions of Australia, which, um, you know, was a bit of a big deal for us because we're then being recognised as um, being evidence-based and the minimum standard of um, university-qualified allied health professionals. And that, again, gives us, you know, a really great collaborative or network of other allied health professions and also a bit more of a voice too in terms of being in government and things as well. So that was something that um, was really great for us. Uh, and now we're looking towards um, making sure there's a lot more um, guidelines, I suppose, written documentation and things that are there to support people in the industry. So working a lot more on that um, in 2021 as well. And we'll continue on our path and, you know, hopefully be fully fledged um, self-regulating profession and registered as well, practitioners in 2000, by, by 2024, yeah. And so there's, there's too many projects, really. <laughs> um, so it's like one thing we're always looking for, more members. We're also looking for more active members as well that, you know, can contribute because everyone has such great, there's such a rich diversity of um, knowledge and ex expertise out there and it's something that, that, you know, people can always contribute that as well. Absolutely. Well, hopefully this podcast episode can continue to, um, you know, be a voice for you guys and build some brand awareness. And for anyone who's listening out there who's interested, um, head on through to the show notes and they can click through and see what um, ASDC is all about. Jen, thank you so much for coming and having a chat with me today. Thanks for having me. It's been great. I just loved how Jennifer's pathway of traveling through retail, hospitality and architecture before entering her into the industry of which she is so passionate about now, just goes to show that the pathway to success is never linear. Excitedly, the ASDC really showed up for our clinicians in 2020 through everything that our industry went through and it gives me so much excitement to hear about the steps and systems that they're putting into place moving forward into 2021. To find out more about Jen or the ASDC, head through to the show notes. Us, of course, well, you'll find us on all of the platforms at Butte Industry and you can keep up with myself over at Tamara Reed Butte. Until next time, stay connected.